The following is a presentation by The Tabernacle, a community of changed lives. For more information regarding service times, or if you would like to make a donation to The Tabernacle, you can do so by visiting our website at www.thetabchurch.com. Good morning. Hey, welcome to the Tabernacle. You all came to this one. Wow. Yeah. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here, and we welcome you to the Tabernacle. Uh, this weekend feels a little bit like those of us have been around here for a while, like deja vu. Uh, Northern Michigan, we know what deja vu is, right? It's a French word talking about it. It feels like I've already lived this. I've already been here, you know, like a you know, when you get a premonition or something like, haven't I seen this person, been to this place? That's what, that's what this weekend feels like. In fact, uh, I told you my deja vu joke, right? Oh, I thought surely I did. Ah. You get it, Bill? Oh, I get it. Yeah, all right, all right, all right. Hey, come on, just say, hey, we've been here a while, so. Uh, no, it feels like deja vu because we've done the four service weekend before, and I just want to remind us of the why. It's because part of our mission is to make disciples. We want to make as many disciples as we possibly can. We want to be workmen approved unto God. So it's not a us thing or a, or a me thing or look how great the tab is, but how great God is. And it was pretty cool because already at the 830 service, uh, we had almost 80 people. I thought Michigan people were liars because everyone's always like, I get up early in the morning. No, you don't. You get up, you know, to go to the bathroom and then go back to bed. But no, they showed up. They're a bunch of freaks at 830. Yeah, hanging off the rafters. But it's also exciting, you know, you know, as Kid has already shared, there's, there's a bunch of folks that are worshiping today in Manistee. And I'm excited to tell you that our campus pastors informed me that the uh, uh, sheriff of Manistee County has been coming to the tab. And we're going to bring the man, or somehow we're going to get the tabernacle service broadcast in the Manistee County jail. Isn't that exciting? Right? Yeah. <laughs> Captive audience. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Don't get sad. It gets worse. All right. But we are in Mark chapter 8. And uh, if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there because Mark chapter 8 also is going to feel a little bit like deja vu. If you've been following along, if you're remembering anything we've talked about, or if you're reading ahead, what you'll find in Mark chapter 8, where we're going, is if you look back into Mark chapter 6, verse 30, through Mark chapter 7, there's a sequence of events that we're about to repeat today. And when you read the gospel, I think it's important to point that out. I mean, you're not the only one if you've read the gospel going, okay, and he healed a guy and there's a boat. And then what is this? Are we doing this all over again? It feels like it in Mark chapter 8. In fact, I'll give you a preview. There's a miraculous feeding and then there's a boat ride. And then Pharisees are going to show up again and have a little talky talk. And then there's going to be a conversation about bread or crumbs, as you remember from last week. And then there's going to be a healing. And as Yogi Berra said, it's going to feel like deja vu all over again. Didn't we just do this? 
Well, there's no wasted words in Scripture, and there's a reason that uh, Mark is recording this for us in his gospel. So without any further ado, uh, we'll jump right into uh, uh, Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, you can read along with the words on the screen. It says, About this time, another large crowd had gathered, and the people ran out of food again. Jesus called his disciples and told them, I feel sorry for these people. They've been here with me for three days. And they have nothing left to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will faint along the way. For some of them have come a long distance. His disciples replied, How are we supposed to find enough food to feed them out here in the wilderness? Sorry. Verse 4. His disciples replied, or sorry, verse 5. Jesus asked, that would have been deja vu, Jesus asked, how much bread do you have? Seven loaves, they replied. So Jesus told all the people to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves, thanked God for them, and broke them into pieces. He gave them to his disciples who distributed the bread to the crowd. A few small fish were found too. So Jesus also blessed these and told the disciples to distribute them. And they ate as much as they wanted. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven large baskets of leftover food. There were about 4,000 people in the crowd that day, and Jesus sent them home after they had eaten. Immediately after this, he got into a boat with his disciples and crossed over to the region of Dalmanutha. Feels like deja vu, doesn't it? Just a little bit? Now, I'm inspired by the fact that there was a large crowd that went out to the wilderness And they were listening to Jesus teaching and preaching for three days. Now that's my kind of preaching, right? I've heard me do it. But you would have all left. But he's the son of God, right? He's got the very words of life. And and they followed him out there. And there's a fairly large crowd, at least 4,000. It doesn't delineate whether it's men or women, but it doesn't matter. 4,000 people. And they're just so wrapped up in the teaching. Here's Jesus, the bread of life. And the very words of life are flowing out of his mouth and he's ministering to these people. But it's been three days and Jesus says, all right, that's, that's enough. Okay, it's time for these people to go home. But it says he felt sorry for them. Some translations say he had compassion on them because the food had run out. Now, I love the fact that on day one, food's gone, we're leaving. Nope, they stayed. Day two, day three. But it's been a while since they've had some food, lunch, whatever they packed in their coolers, you know, in the back of the truck. It's just gone. And so he says, we need to feed these people. And he tells the disciples. And the disciples, who by the way, are the same ones that have been with him for we think maybe as as long as two years by this point, they pull a classic disciple comment. Where are we going to get food to feed all these people? And I don't know if it was a grumble, was it a complaint, was it sarcastic? Was it honest? It doesn't matter. They didn't remember. Where in the world are we going to get enough food for all these people? I mean, I kind of want to be there and just go, I wonder. (laughs) Right? And it's Jesus who's asking. Well, there's no 7-Elevens. There's no convenience store. I mean, what will we ever do? We're not even near Dollar General. Can you get some Pop-Tarts or something? Jesus doesn't get 
you know, snarky like I would. (laughs) Instead, he goes, what do you have? And they say seven loaves. Now, remember, the loaves that we're talking about are not big giant Wonder Bread loaves. They're like little biscuit things, probably of unleavened bread. Now, if you recall with the feeding of the 5,000, how many loaves were there? You don't remember either. You're just like the disciples. There were five. Five loaves, two fish with the 5,000. With the 4,000, there are seven loaves. And, he, and then it says, and they also found a few small fish as well. Now, a few is more than two, right? Because if there were two, you'd say there was a pair or there was a couple or there were two. A few is more than two. So we have less people, more resources, and Jesus does what Jesus does. Is out of his compassion and his power, he provides for these people. He prays, he blesses, he breaks the bread, they distribute the fish, and the disciples are like doing it again. I'm sure one of them's like, you really had to open your mouth? You had to do it again? Were you daring him to do it? You know? Maybe it wasn't all the disciples that were going, oh, we don't remember. Where does all the food come from? Where there's nothing. Because this is the son of God. This is the creator of the universe. They've seen his power. They've seen his provision, but they still didn't remember. And I want to get frustrated with these guys because there's less people, there's more resources. Interestingly, there was more surplus too, by the way. Did you catch that little detail? So with the feeding of the 5,000, five loaves, two fish, 5,000 men, not counting women and children, there were 12 baskets left over. And the translation for that word was like a small little lunch basket, like an individual would carry. So there were basically 12 to-go boxes. For the disciples to take. This is not the same kind of basket. It says seven large baskets. Meaning there's a whole lot more left over. This means call the neighbors. We're going to need some help getting through this. This food's going to spoil. We need to share it. Less people. More resources. More surplus. You see what Jesus is doing here? I want to get frustrated with the disciples. But I'm just like this. And if you're honest, you've been like this before too. We forget, don't we? We don't remember God's power. We don't remember his provision. You know, my wife and I, we celebrated 27 years of marriage last weekend, right? It was our anniversary. And, and one of the things as I was preparing for this message, I was thinking how God has gently taught us and brought us through this marriage, he's always provided for us. Because it's been 27 years of ministry and five children, right? We got one in Christian college right now, which in order to do that, you've got to sell two of your other kids. <laughs> but he's always provided. We made a decision early on that we would give a tenth of everything that we make to the Lord No questions asked. And everything beyond that was going to be an offering. We were going to give back to God what belonged to God. And I'm not saying this to brag because I'm going to tell you that stress falls heavy on my wife. She's the one that writes the bills and writes the check and does the juggle thing. It's the same in my house. But you know what? When we fear, it's because we've forgotten how he's always provided. Sometimes miraculously. I'm just like a disciple. See, it's not just the church that's called to remember how he's provided And how his power has shown up. We're called individually to remember how he's provided and how his power has shown up. How has he provided for you? How's he provided for your marriage? How's he provided 
for your family. Moving on, verse 11. It says, When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had arrived, they came and started to argue with him. Now that's just like religious people, isn't it? Testing him, they demanded that he show them a ra- Show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. When he heard this, he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why do these people keep demanding a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, I will not give this generation any such sign. So he got back into the boat and left them. And he crossed to the other side of the lake. Now, We're reading out of the New Living Translation, and so it misses just a little bit of the nuances because it's putting it in our language. But there's still no wasted words here. Jesus is a little put out with them. Okay, so he's the son of God. He's the miracle worker. He's the rabbi. He's got all of Israel turned upside down. And these Pharisees show up to ask for a sign? No, they showed up to get in an argument. Have you ever been in a class, maybe, maybe you remember in high school or in college or a certification class or something, you know that guy or that girl that's always asking the question, but they're really not interested in the answer. They just want to either appear intelligent or kind of debate with the professor. Don't be that guy, right? If you're the professor, then you can give answers, but here they're not really interested in anything. It says they argued with him. They wanted to debate with him. They didn't remember either. What do I mean they didn't remember? Well, they didn't remember their recent history. They knew about the miracles. Chances are at least some of them, if not all of them, had seen miracles. Maybe they were there during the feeding of the 5,000. We don't know. They'd heard the rumors about the girl resurrected from the dead. They'd heard about lame people that can walk or blind that can see, deaf people that can hear. The demoniac, I'm sure there was a whisper about the calming of the storm, maybe even the walking on the water, but none of those signs were good enough. So they either didn't remember them or worse, ignored them. But that's not all they didn't remember. In my view, they didn't remember their own scripture, God's word to them. You see, the Old Testament is full of prophecies about the Messiah that would come. The Old Testament, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Micah and the Psalms, were always talking about the one who would come to be the Savior of Israel. They could have learned about the signs that he would be born in Bethlehem. They could have figured out when Jesus was born. Everybody knew. That the Lord would call his son out of Egypt. Oh, you spent some time in Egypt. I see that on your passport. Okay. That he was of the tribe of Judah. They knew what tribe he was from. Everyone knew what tribes. You could sort that out. That he would be a son of David. Not just through his stepdad, Joseph. But through his mother, Mary. That he was of royalty. They could have figured that out. If they would have been paying attention and remembering God's word. They would know that when Messiah comes, he will speak to them in parables. As this one did. They would know that there would be miracles like the healing of the lame. It spells it out. That he would heal the lame. That the blind would see. That the deaf would hear. The mute would speak. 
It even says in the Old Testament that Messiah would calm the storm. They didn't remember. They weren't interested. They wanted another sign. And Jesus wouldn't give it to them. You know, I wonder how many times I have, Lord, show me. Lord, what should I do? And you know what I always want to do is I want to complicate it. I want fire from heaven. Lord, if you really want me to love God and people and forgive that guy, let this stoplight turn green. Right now. Or whatever sign we demand. Some of us, we hear a sign, and then we hear another sign, and we hear another sign, and we still have fear, which is faithlessness, because we don't remember all the signs He's already given us. How many times does God have to tell us? How many times have you been somewhere? Maybe it was in a sermon. Maybe it was during worship. Maybe it was during reading your Bible or a book someone gave you or at a retreat or at a small group where you knew that you knew that you knew that God was speaking to you. Maybe it was the conviction of sin. Maybe it was encouragement. Maybe it was the promise that you've been forgiven. But you come back the next day with, oh, I just don't feel forgiven. No, you just don't remember. I just love that one song because it makes me... Feel that, wow, God is alive and he's moving. And, but then as soon as I drive away, it's like, give me a sign. I know I've been that way. And it says that Jesus was like, you know what? I'm not giving you any more signs. You see, I think sometimes God gives us signs. And like we said last week, he speaks to us personally. And then we ignore those and we demand another one. How many times do we have to say, he's not going to give you another one until you obey the one you already got. He's not. He doesn't waste words like I do. They didn't remember. And I, I, you know, when it says that Jesus sighed deeply in his spirit. Remember, Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully man. Now, in his fully manness, he never sinned. But he did experience the full range of human emotion, including exasperation. You know, I I read a scholar this week that was like, Jesus was never exasperated. Yeah, he was. We see it right here. He sighed deeply. (sighs) You ever done that? Some of you have done that with me. (laughs) Trust me, I've done it with you. And the Lord does it with us. These people. No sign will be given. And he gets in the boat. I'm going across the lake. I'm done. I'm out. Now, did he still love the Pharisees? Yes. It says in another gospel that he actually uh, may have said, if this was the same incident, that he said, no sign will be given this generation except the sign of Jonah. Meaning, you're getting a sign, it's coming later. And the sign of Jonah was referring to the fact that Jonah spent three days in the belly of a fish, and our Lord would spend three days in the belly of the earth, dead. And then he would come back from the grave. But you know what? For many of these religious people, even that wasn't good enough. Explain it away. Call it a lie. Say the disciples stole his body. You see, sometimes when we're demanding a sign, it's really just camouflage for faithlessness. So he gets in the boat. Verse 14. But the disciples had forgotten to bring any food. This is about to go off. They had only one loaf of bread, one biscuit, with them in the boat. And as they were crossing the lake, Jesus warned them, Watch out, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. 
Now let's pause right there. He's, he's just got out of this debate. He's just got out of this argument. I think he's a little bit exasperated, sighed deeply. Come on, guys, let's go. We're out of here. I'm not arguing with these people at the sign. They're not going to get fire from heaven or whatever they want. Get in the boat. And they get in the boat and the bros forget the food. And Jesus isn't thinking about food. He warns them, beware of the yeast, some translations say the leaven, of the Pharisees and of Herod. Now, we could talk about that. That's a different sermon. But really what he's saying is, you know, leaven or yeast is when you add something to a recipe to make it expand or taste a different way or whatever. And he's saying, you know what? The Pharisees are always trying to add to this message, this gospel. That's what religious people do. They add the list. He goes, don't be like those people. Don't be like Herod either. That's what the, you know, the culture tries to do is, you know, take the Jesus flag and wave it over this party or that movement. No, no, no. This is not what it's about. It's about, you know, just don't be like those guys. You know what these bros do? Dude, he's ticked because you forgot the bread. It was your fault, man. It was seven baskets, man. I put it on the to-do list. It's right there on the beach. I can see it. Where were we at? Verse 15. All right. At this, verse 16, at this, they begin to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. Jesus knew what they were saying. So he said, why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? When I fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up afterward? Twelve, they said. And when I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves, how many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven, they said. Don't you understand yet, he asked them. That's exasperation. He's talking about leaven. He's talking about a warning. Be careful. And they associate it with bread and their stomachs and their fear and their anxiety. Dude, you forgot lunch. Dude, it's your fault. You always do this. You always blame me. And then Jesus kind of goes off. Now, he's not sinning. He's not sinning in his anger or his exasperation. But that's nine questions he asked them. Don't you get it? Don't you see? Don't you? You have ears, don't you? Can't you hear? This is the rabbi talking to the disciples. This is Jesus talking to me. Don't you remember anything at all? They forgot everything. They didn't remember anything. They didn't remember. They didn't remember his power. They didn't remember his provision. They weren't putting the 4,000 and the 5,000 together. They were forgetting the details. With five loaves and two, how many leftovers? Yeah, the 12 to go basket. With the fourth, do you really think that it's about bread? They didn't remember. It's important for us to remember because when we don't remember, then our present and our future, we get afraid. And when we're ruled by fear, we're faithless. Because all we see is the fear. We don't remember the power. Friend, can I tell you, it's not a mistake that you're here today. The signs that brought you here, those were from him. It wasn't just your neighbor. It wasn't just, your, it wasn't just circumstance. There's the message. The way he showed up in the past, he'll show up again. 
The things he told you before, they're still true. It hasn't changed. But you and I, in our humanness, sometimes we, we don't remember. And remembering is key to having faith for right now and for tomorrow. Does that make sense? Well, Jesus isn't done with them, thankfully. He doesn't sin in his exasperation. Instead, he gives them an illustration. Verse 22. When they arrived at Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus, and they begged him to touch the man and heal him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Then, and this gets good, spitting on the man's eyes. There he is spitting again. He laid his hands on him and asked, can you see anything now? The man looked around. Yes, he said, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again, and his eyes were opened. His sight was completely restored, and he could see everything clearly. Jesus sent him away, saying, don't go back into the village on your way home. Now, first of all, this healing has everything to do with the disciples. Hermeneutically, that's a fancy Bible study word to say the illustration follows what's just happened. Disciples didn't remember in the wilderness about the feeding. Pharisees didn't remember the signs of the Old Testament or that the Messiah was right in front of them demanding a sign. Disciples didn't remember again. Jesus asked them the nine questions. They don't remember anything at all. They're not getting it. They're not understanding. Sight is associated with understanding. And so as it just so happens, there's a blind man. Would you touch him? Uh, Thanks, I'm the son of God. I'll heal him how I want to. Which in this case is spit. Now, why did he do that? I don't know. You know, some scholars are like, well, he didn't really spit on him. He spit on his hands and then rubbed it on there. And, you know, uh, the guy was blind. If he did spit in his eyes, he didn't see it coming. (laughs) I don't know. I'm just saying. Not ripping. I'm just saying, right? I heard one scholar say, no, this is the compassion of Jesus because obviously the man used to have sight and so these were probably, you know, caused by a wound and so there are these open wounds and the warm saliva of his spit was a salve. That's just gross. Stop with your weird explanations. What we do know is that this is the only time we see a two-stage miracle. So don't make this foolish mistake. This, no, 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 this guy was really, really blind. He needed two things to happen. No, I think he who called everything into existence with the word of his mouth had it covered. He's trying to show us something. And the spit, after the spit in his eyes, do you see clearly? And he says, I kind of see, I kind of see trees moving around, but they look like men or whatever. And then Jesus touches him, and then he could see clearly. See, here's the deal. We don't remember. We're human. We need a touch of God to help us see. We need a touch of God to help us understand. Some of us have beaten ourselves up for too long because we just feel bad. It's me. I'm a failure. I'm whatever. No, we're called to remember, but we still need God to show up. We have our faith, but it doesn't depend on us. It still depends on him to open our eyes. The disciples weren't getting it. Yeah, they maybe thought he was the Messiah. And you'll see where we're going next week. It's the culminating pivot point of the gospel of Mark. 
Peter's confession of Christ. But up to this point, everything's just a little bit blurry. Man, if you're here, you've been here for a while, maybe this is your first Sunday, it doesn't matter, and things are a little bit blurry, keep coming back. If you're seeing things like trees walking around, but you don't quite get it all the way, we're praying for a touch of God and you can ask him too. Just like the blind man. Do you see clearly? Not quite yet. So, I mean, the point here is just not to beat up on Christians for forgetting. Forgetting his message, forgetting the signs, forgetting his word, forgetting his provision, forgetting his power. We're all going to do that. But God in his graciousness, he still shows up and in his faithfulness. With the little bit of faith that I can muster, there's that touch. And then it's like, oh, I see. Have you ever noticed that things don't seem real clear in your faith journey until you look back? Anybody else notice that? Maybe you're looking back on your own life right now. I remember, how did I get here? How did he bring me here? What were the little signposts? What were the domino chain of events? Yeah, it's good to remember those things. But make no mistake, there was a God in all of that whose hand is touching. The hand that says, all right, now's the time. I'm thinking right now of a guy who years ago uh, uh, first took a risk. He retired, moved to the area here with his wife, and he just started coming to Fight Club because he wanted to make friends, and the Bible was interesting. It became evident after his very first night, he sat down at a table, and all the guys at the table came up and go, that guy's not a Christian, and he knows it. And it was the perfect table to, to commit to because they were all the old, leathery, salty dogs of the faith. You know who you are. Those of you that were here when Noah got off the boat, you know what I'm talking about. And they know the word frontwards and back and they just started praying for him and talking to him and opening God's word week after week after week at Fight Club and he's coming to church with his wife and he was honest. He was like, I, I, I just don't get it. I mean, I want to get it, but I don't get it. He was seeing trees looking like men. Other things were a little blurry. I can't remember if it was four, five, six months, maybe longer. Someone had given him a Bible. It was like a self-published book, maybe, from somebody around here that had written it about science-y stuff. And it was a Saturday morning, and he's just drinking his coffee, reading this book. And the author pointed out that laminin, the building block DNA of our bodies, are shaped like a cross. Coincidence? I don't know. But for this guy... God touched his heart. Tears started to roll down his face. And the lights came on. And then he started remembering. You and I need that. You and I need that. Because we all sometimes get spiritual amnesia. And whether it's we've never come to faith or we've been a Christian a long time, that amnesia that just can't recall things. Spiritual amnesia is a failing to remember what God has done. That's why as a church, we remind one another all the time. Not just what he's done recently at the tab. Church itself, and Jesus initiated church. It was, church was his idea, not some TV preacher's idea, okay? Was, hey, you, we need remembering. Every time we come together, we're reminding one another of who he is and what he's done. Every time the gospel's preached, oh, I've heard it a hundred times. Doing it yet? Didn't think so. We'll see you next week. And it's the same thing with preachers. It's the same thing with ministry staff, elders, deacons. I don't care. 
Church itself is a collective remembering. We sing the songs. We pray the prayers. We hear his word again and again and again. And I never get tired of it because I always need reminding. That there is one God. That he created all things. That he's a holy God. And I am not. I'm a sinner. And he sent his son. God in flesh to be a sacrifice for us. So that if I believed by faith, I would receive his grace. That he died on a cross. That he defeated Satan, sin and death by coming back to life. And if none of that is true, this is a colossal waste of time. The worst lie perpetrated on human beings. But if it's true, I want to remember it. And I don't want to forget it. Because it should guide everything in our life, should it not? If I fail to remember that, I'm not going to love God and love people. If I fail to remember what God has done for me, I'm not going to forgive my enemy. I'm not going to forgive my friend. You're not going to forgive me. We're not going to love one another. We're not going to serve. We're not going to give. We're not going to be generous because we've got spiritual amnesia. And sometimes we just come in here to be reminded. And sometimes a pastor takes you into the bathroom if you're a guy and slaps you around. It's the third service. Just go there with me for a minute. That's metaphorically speaking, right? Because we need to be reminded. I need to be reminded. I need to be reminded. No one's getting slapped. When you have spiritual amnesia, we need to be reminded. We can remind each other. And we recall his power, his provision, his message, what he's done. How good he is. You know, this weekend, we're celebrating communion, which was a ritual initiated by Jesus the night before he died. Communion. When his disciples, and they're still seeing everything like men walking around like trees, it's not really clear yet. He he told them to remember something that hadn't happened yet. He was like, okay, listen, give me some bread. Dinner's over. And they're, what? We're having... Biscuits after, okay. And then the God of the universe, the word in flesh, he broke bread and he said, take and eat this. This is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. And I'm sure they're like, wait, wait, it's not clear. Where are you going? They still didn't get it. They didn't know that the next day he would be horribly beaten, tortured, killed on a cross. They didn't fully get that yet. They didn't understand that he would spend three days in the grave and on the third day he would defeat Satan, sin, and death by coming back to life. That he would be our salvation, our great God and King. That he would ascend into heaven and sit down at the right hand of the throne of God forever as a mediator between us and God. We have the best lawyer ever. The judge's son saying, this one's with me. When you take this bread... Eat it in remembrance of my sacrifice. Then it says he took a cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Meaning, you know what? We're not doing it with the Pharisee way anymore. We're not bringing in an earthly kingdom like Herod once. Beware of that leaven. We're not going to add to this. This is the new covenant. Which means it's by grace you are saved through faith. And the smallest amount of faith will save you. Drink this cup and do this in remembrance of me. We're commanded to remember. Because in the remembering, that gives me faith for for today. 
face to face tomorrow. And for those moments when we just don't get it yet, there's grace too. Maybe you need a little more spit. I ain't going to spit on you. I'd let Jesus spit on me though. Better yet a touch. And maybe in that remembering it all comes clear. Would you bow your heads with me today? I want to give you some instructions. If you're not a Christian today, this ritual, this, this tradition, this sacrament we're about to celebrate, it, it, it's not for you. But if you want to become one, you're invited to participate. And if you are a Christian, you know that we're called to never take communion in an unworthy manner. If you haven't forgiven your brother and you need to sit this one out, that's between you and God. No one's going to look at you weird. If there's sin in your life, you're not you're on the struggle bus with it, you can sit this one out. But if you want to take a moment and ask God, God, would you remember my sin no more? He promised that he wouldn't. That if we'd ask for his forgiveness, that we're forgiven. But I'm wondering if today... Those that don't know Jesus that want to know him. If you would ask him into your life. And maybe ask that the master would help you to see things a little bit more clear. How he's saved you. How he's provided. How he's brought you this far. I want to say you can trust him. We come together to remind each other we can trust him. And if you are a Christian today. Whether you're encouraged or. You've come here today needing encouragement. As you take communion today, maybe spend your time reverently remembering those things that are just between you and God. Just between you and your wife. Those things that he said, those things that he did, that if you were to say them out loud, might even sound silly, but you remember. As disciples, we're called to remember Lord Jesus, I thank you for your patience with us. I thank you for the fact that when we forget, you still give us illustrations. You give us one another so we can recall, so we can remind. You've given us this sacrament as a tangible expression that if we eat of the bread of life, if we drink from the cup of life, by faith, remembering your death, we're called saved we're called your children and there's nothing that will ever change that so God we remember you we do this to remember you and to celebrate and to proclaim your death until you come Lord your name is Jesus the Christ and it's in your name that we pray amen Church, when you're ready, not all at once, it's a packed house, but when you're ready, we invite you to come.